I'm going to move this. I might be tempted to sing if I don't. I don't want to do that. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. As we continue in this great, great book, great chapter, great section that talks directly to us about our needs and our struggles and what God has done and what God is doing in each life of every single believer on the face of the earth. It's an important chapter. We've commented on that, that that this chapter is really, in a very real sense of the word, one of the most important sections, chapter 6, in all of the Bible, in all the New Testament for sure, but really in all the Bible because it points so specifically and so clearly to what Christ has done in our lives. And it, it points to what we are called to as believers in the day in which we live. And this chapter talks a lot about liberty. It talks a lot about freedom. It talks a lot about being a slave, not to unrighteousness, not to self, not to sin, but a slave to God. Moved out of that one slavery into the other. We, we talked about that last week. And so I hope the significance and the importance of, of understanding what it means to walk as a slave to righteousness, a slave to God, rather than a slave to sin. Today, Paul is still on that same thought, beginning in verse 19 and moving through verse 22, and, uh, and this is what he has to say. And we kind of tie in 19 from last week and this week. He said, I'm speaking in human terms, talking about this slavery matter. You understand it because you see it around you all the time, he would say. So I'm drawing from human understanding. I'm drawing from your human terms to help you see a great spiritual truth. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. We all have those. It's, it's almost like he's saying, I'm speaking to you from, in, in natural terms in ways you'll understand because, quite honestly, if I spoke to you the language of God, you'd be totally confused and, and, and misunderstand. You, you couldn't understand it at all. But I'm speaking to you in a way that you can identify and can understand. So, so I'm starting again. I'm, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For in the end, for for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, doulos of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. And then next week we'll look at 23, but I'm going to read it here now. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Apostle Paul, over and over again in this chapter, wants to strike this this clarity, this understanding uh, of what slavery is all about and, and two different ways of looking at it, two different lives. Indeed, what Paul is doing here, he's just showing us there are two different, totally different lives 
that are in the same person if that person is in Christ. Now, if not in Christ, then the old way sticks and stays and, and there's no change. But he says, I want you to understand these two lives in, in a believer's understanding and a believer's history of their life is really totally opposed to one another. Totally different one from the other. Totally as much as dark and light, night and day is, they are different from one another. That is the life of the old self and the life of the new self. Self. What, what does it mean to be set free? I, I had Pastor Ricky read that passage out of John's Gospel this morning as our hearing of the word because I wanted you to hear that Jesus is saying the same thing in John chapter 8 that Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And of course, he is the truth. And, and the, the Jews around him said, well, who are you saying we're slaves to? We've never been slaves to man. We are a free people. We love our freedom. We, we exalt in our freedom. What do you mean we will be set free? We don't need to be set free. The truth of the matter is, freedom or liberty, two sort of interchangeable words, are really elusive ideas, especially in our day and time and in our culture. Freedom can be defined and looked at in two different ways. And I was wondering this morning, how would you define freedom? Don't speak it out. You don't have to yell it at me or anything, but, but just think about it in your own mind. How do you define freedom or liberty? Most Americans today, by virtue of all the opinion polls that you can read about if they ask what is freedom and what does it mean to be free, they would always almost totally answer that true freedom is the absence of any restraints. True freedom is not having any law over us. True freedom is not having any kind of regulations or any kind of, of, of constraints on our life. True freedom is just being able to say, I can do whatever I want to do. If you've watched the news much the last week or two or month, you've seen a lot of that in, in expression. We want to do what we want to do. We want what we want, and we want it now. And we want it the way we want it. And we don't want anybody telling us how to live. I always find it amazing that, that anarchy is really always at the core of most cultures. It sometimes doesn't, isn't seen, and, and sometimes you don't know it's there. But from time to time, it always bubbles up and shows itself in one way or another. Just give me libertinism. Just give me an absolute freedom. And don't dare try to tell me what to do. And that's one view of freedom. The other view of freedom is really what the Apostle Paul has in mind here. The other view of freedom is not freedom to do whatever I want to do, but it's really freedom to have the power to do what I ought to do. Hey, he says you once were slaves to sin. You, you once presented your members, that is your, the members of your body, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. And, and that led to more lawlessness. In other words, sin begets and sin breeds sin. So now that you've been brought to Christ, now that you are in Christ, present your members as slaves of righteousness, slaves to righteousness that leads to sanctification. Now, get this very straight here. Paul can only be speaking in this passage to a believer. This is not an evangelistic passage saying, 
You know, you really ought to be doing more right. You ought to be doing things better. You ought to be living in a more orderly way according to God. He's not talking to unbelievers here because unbelievers have the freedom to do whatever they want to do. There's no doubt about that, and they do. They present themselves as sins to lawlessness, which leads to more lawlessness, present themselves as, as slaves to sin, which leads to more sin and deeper sin. That is a, that, that's clear. Only the believer has the freedom, which is the power, to do what they ought to do. If you say to an unbeliever, you ought to present your members, the members of your body, you ought to present to righteousness. They'll look at you and say, what in the world does that mean? I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. Oh, you mean I ought to do good deeds? Oh, well, I do good deeds all the time. I'm, I'm a very good person. I, I try hard to be kind to, to my, my neighbor, and I try, I try hard to be kind to to puppies and kittens and everything all around me. I, I'm just really a, a nice guy. So I, I guess that means I'm presenting myself to righteousness, correct? No. When he says presenting yourselves as slaves to righteousness, he's talking about the righteousness that comes from Christ on the basis of salvation, on the basis of justification. Present yourselves to Christ, the one who has clothed you in his righteousness, and that will be a whole different kind of fruit in your life than the fruit that came out of you being a slave to unrighteousness. You say, wow. How do we know? How do we know whether we are presenting the members of our body as slaves to righteousness? Well, Paul says, I want you to understand, the slavery to sin, it yields no return except a, a steady deterioration and demolishment of everything around it. In other words, if you see your life in a downward spiral, Paul says, if you're, if you're still living in light of the old man when you're really a new man or woman in Christ, then you ought to recognize that something, something's really wrong. Tonight in our church history class, we're going to talk about Elias, uh, Elias Kiffin. He was a famous son, uh, the son of a famous preacher in England. And he wanted to escape England, so he came to the States, came to Massachusetts, and the best way to get here was to, to masquerade as, a, as a, a minister of the gospel. And so he got his passage paid, and he came to America, and he, was, he went and was serving in a church in, in Boston and, uh, as sort of a lay preacher there, although he said he was a minister of the gospel. They already had a pastor, but... Uh, he came masquerading as a minister of the gospel, and he wasn't even saved. And, and one day in, in, in church, he was asked to preach. And so he began to preach from Romans chapter 6. That's where he took his text from. He got to the passage here that talks about, uh, you know, when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That is, you, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't go toward righteousness, because you were free from righteousness. You didn't even know what righteousness was. He began to preach on that text. And while he was preaching on this text, he was converted. He came to Christ. I don't know a whole lot of preachers who are preaching the word, and in that time, they're converted to Christ. Maybe it ought to happen more often. I don't know. But he was in the word, teaching the word, telling the truth of the word, and realized in the middle of it that he was a slave to himself and to sin 
and to lawlessness and to unrighteousness. Even lying in order to get to America. Wasn't well, the United States then, but, but to get to America. And so he came. He was converted during the preaching of a passage of Scripture that is powerful for a believer. But he recognized it didn't say anything to him because he was not a new creature in Christ. At that point, he trusted Christ in the middle of his sermon. You see, real freedom, we kind of touched on this last week a little bit, but real freedom is, is the power to do what we ought to do. The power to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. The power to say no to temptation and yes to Christ. On a daily basis, we, we tend to picture uh, the Christian life is where we say yes to Christ when we come to Him. And we say, yes, Christ, I trust you as Lord. I follow you as Lord. I commit myself through baptism to you as Lord. And, and we say yes to Christ then. And the rest of the time, it's just kind of a matter of walking through this world. Paul is saying here that the Christian life is a life of saying yes to Christ. Over and over and over and over again. It's not just yes to Christ and then 50 years later you see him face to face and Lord, I said yes to you 50 years ago isn't that really all that matters? As Paul would say, it's not all that matters. When you were slave to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Paul uses a word there that's anathema in our culture today. Ashamed. Why we teach very clearly, you ought to never be ashamed. And, and we, li we literally are a, a people who, who have no shame. We just go through life, we do what we want to do, we live as though we're liberta libertinism, and, and we live according to, to libertine principles, and we just do our own thing. There's no shame at all. We believe that we can say to, to God, now listen, Lord, I know what your word says, and I know your word says this, but I believe this, and so I, I really do want to have heaven when I die, but I'm going to live not according to your law, not according to your word. I'm going to live according to my feelings. And what I feel ought to be right. A lot of people who are professing Christ are living in, in light of feelings, not in light of truth. This is what I feel like. It's what I feel like I want to do. Well, I know God says I ought not do that, or God says I ought to do this, and I want to, we'll get into this in Romans 7, but, but you know, I just want to do what I want to do. But you get right down to it, this idea of sanctification that leads to a life and leads to fruit away from things for which you are now ashamed that you ever did, and let me tell you, I'm not going to tell you. I'll just tell you generally. I got a list of them. I got a lot of things I'm ashamed of before I was a Christian. A lot of things I did in high school and college that, that I, I really would just as soon you not know about. And, and I'll do my best for you not to know about those things. But the point is, I'm ashamed of those. They, they, I really am. There, there's, now, that shame has been covered by the righteousness of Christ and by the blood of Christ. And so I don't walk around just kind of 
bemoaning that shame all the time. But Paul says, I want you to know there are things which now you are and even should be ashamed of in the old self, in the old life, before Christ did a work of grace in your life. Nothing wrong with shame is rightly understood. If it's false shame, that's another matter. But, but if, it's, if it's things that, that have moved us, fruit that has moved us, what, what fruit were you getting at that time when you were doing those things of which you're now ashamed? There was no fruit. Well, Paul said to the Ephesians, excuse me, the Galatians, he said, you know, there, there was fruit. Uh, if you look over there, when he talks about being in, in the Spirit and all, he, he talks about how there was a fruit that came out, but it was fruit of the flesh. You know, now the works of the flesh are evident. Fruit of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. Paul said that's where, that's where the, the fruit of unrighteousness is. That's the fruit you bear with the fruit of unrighteousness. But he goes on to say, but there's a different kind of fruit. He said, I warned you about these things. I warned you before that those who do such things are not new creatures in Christ. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those things are part of the old nature. Those things are part of being an Adam. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things as this, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Paul said, here is the, here's the issue. It's if you're in Christ, there's been a crucifixion, there's been a crucifying, there's been a death to those kind of things. And now you're alive into Christ. So, so I titled the sermon, it just all comes down to this. It really does all come down to this. The bottom line is that, that Christ, when he has done a work in your life, has done a radical work. The gospel is a radical thing. The work of Christ, the righteousness of God, is something that that engulfs you and swaps you and just overtakes you in such a way that, that it changes everything. Lloyd-Jones talked about this in his commentaries and, and sermons on, on Romans 6. He said, I want you to notice and be careful to see that the teaching about sanctification in verse 19 is an exhortation, just like it is in verses 11 uh, through 13. It's, it's an exhortation. It, it really is, in fact, a command. And, and God commands us to do this not because we in our nature, our own fallen nature, our own Adamic nature can obey it, but He commands us to do that because we are in Christ. He says, now that you are in Christ, you can do that. Now that you're in Christ, this, this idea of sanctification is not something that is just a passive thing that, that, that you sit back and say, okay, God, I'm just going to let go and let you do sanctification in my life. No, sanctification is a work of God that we participate in, whereby he begins to 
shape us and form us, but it's something that when we are in Christ, we, we hunger for and we desire and we want above everything else. It's an exhortation, a command to offer our bodies to God for His purposes. And, and Paul says that's something we must do as disciples of Christ. I've got a cartoon that I hung on my door this past week, and I really intended to put it in the grace notes, but I wasn't here when they did the grace notes, so I didn't. Maybe you'll see it later. But it's a man and a woman standing there, and he's opening a letter, and and he's looking at this letter, and she's kind of looking on forlornly. And, 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 and the letter, he says, it's a letter from our church. We've been called up for active duty. It is funny in a tragic sort of way. Because the Christian life And the church life, which is a part of being the body of Christ, a part of the body, part of the fellowship, a part of the communion of the saints, that's not something that's just a passive matter. It's an active matter. It's an active duty matter where we serve one another, we pray for one another, we we live with one another in such a way that we know one another and we care for one another. And, And it's an active thing in pursuing righteousness and pursuing His truth his word you know the the command to present your bodies to present your members as instruments or tools of righteousness is totally based on the fact that something has already happened in us let me me challenge you to do this this afternoon or tonight or this week sometime little homework assignment. You know that if you're in my classes on Sunday evening, you get homework assignments from time to time. Here's your homework assignment from the sanctuary this week. Take chapter 6 and go through there and, and underline the verbs. Now, if you need help with what a verb is, Lynn Shearer's around here somewhere, and uh, others can help you with that. Go through there and underline all the verbs that tell in the past tense what has happened to those of us who are Christians. All the verbs in chapter 6 that tell us what has happened to us. You'll find things, don't you still do this, but you'll find things like in verse 2, we died to sin, that's past tense. Uh, Or in verse 3, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Or in verse 4, we were therefore buried with him. Or verse 5, we have been united with him like this in his death. Or verse 6, our old self was crucified with him. Not will be crucified, not someday might be crucified, but it has been crucified with him. Verse 8, we died with Christ. Verse 17, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Verse, Verse 18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Or verse 22, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. This command to sanctification, this exhortation to walk with Christ, this command to take your body, 
which includes your brain and includes your, your emotions and includes your hands and your feet and, and your mouth and everything else, this command to take the members of your body and, and use them in the glory of God, present them as instruments of righteousness for the glory of God is, is clearly contingent and based upon the fact that Christ has done something radical in your life. Sanctification is recognizing that becoming a Christian is not just saying, Jesus, I love you and I want to be baptized and I want to join a church. And then it's all done. Sanctification is by the grace of God and the power of God working in you to have the power to do not what you want to do, but what you ought to do. Now, now here's a little secret. When you're walking with Christ and in His Word, Jesus prayed for you and me in John 17, sanctify them in the truth, your Word is truth. So when you're walking with Christ, in sanctification and God is working in your life and you're as I said earlier saying yes to Christ not just one dime at salvation but every single day of your life when you're walking with Christ in sanctification the freedom to do what you ought really becomes the freedom to do what you want you say wait a minute Haynes you just totally contradicted yourself he said, real freedom is not freedom to do what I want, but real freedom is freedom to do what I, the power to do what I ought. And so those two are diametrically opposed to one another. Not in Christ, they're not. Not when you're walking in Christ, they're not. Because in that point, when, when what you ought to do, you have the power to do, it changes. Uh, I love what my, uh, Dr. Cal Guy, my missions professor at Southwestern Seminary a thousand years ago, Dr. Cal Guy used to say, you know, when you're walking with Christ in sanctification, Christ changes your water. You got a water? Every one of us got a water. We want certain things, but when you're in Christ and have the power to do what you ought, you also see the power of Christ changing your water. So, so you find yourself walking in. I mean, who was, was it Edwards that said, no, it wasn't Edwards, it was Luther. Luther said, you know, trust Christ, believe God, and do whatever you want to do. Some people interpret Luther as saying, hey, man, live libertinism to the hilt. Wasn't what Luther was saying. Luther was saying, if you love God and walk with Christ, you can do whatever you want because he's going to place the right wants in your life. It's, it's Psalm 37. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The, the prosperity gospel says, see, if you just walk with Christ, you can get anything you want. And we've talked about that before. That's not what, that's not what the psalmist is saying. He says, you delight yourself in the Lord. You put your trust in Christ. You delight in him. You find your greatest joy in him. You find your walk in him. And, and he will give you the right kind of desires for your heart. You'll want, your wanter will be changed to what it ought to be changed to. Have I totally confused you? This gospel is radical. This idea of sanctification is radical. But these verbs in chapter 6 
that are all in the past tense describe the experience of all who are truly Christians. All who are truly in Christ. Now, they are at varying levels in all true believers. When you come to Christ, he, he doesn't just immediately say, okay, you're totally righteous. You are covered in total righteousness. You are seen by God as totally righteous because he sees you through Christ, his son. But sometimes, dare I say, most of the time, I don't really feel that righteous. Sometimes I don't, I don't feel that sin has no authority over me. Sometimes I, I, I feel that I'm really struggling in my Christian walk. Again, chapter 7, we'll look at Paul's explanation of that. His own description. Sometimes I feel like maybe, maybe I'll just give it all up. Do you notice the operative word there? I feel. Feelings are the greatest inroad of Satan into your life. Feelings are powerful. That's why sanctification is so important. Sanctification is a process of spiritual growth. Sanctification is a process that, that deals with your feelings, not based on your feelings, but based on the facts of the gospel. Based on the facts of Romans chapter 6. I have been crucified. I have been buried. I have died. Past tense. Not because of who I am. Not because of what I've done. But because of who he is. greatest danger of every Christian alive today is to live your life by feelings. That are not bathed in, covered with, shot through and through with the word of God. Feelings are good. I love feelings. But a lot of times our feelings can be so deceptive if they're not shot through with the Word of God. That's why when Jesus prayed for you and me, you know, you prayed that in the garden 2,000 years ago, and we know he was praying for those 11 that were there with him. One had already departed. And he prays, Lord, I, I'm praying for these that you've given me out of the world. I'm praying for these that are going to take my truth, my gospel forward. I'm, I'm praying for these that you have given to me. But he says, I don't just pray for them alone. I also pray for everybody who will ever believe because of their witness. And guess who that is? That's you and me. 
So Jesus says, I just pray. I pray for old Bill Haynes, 2018. I, I pray for those who are sitting in Grace Baptist Church on a Sunday morning, week after week after week. And here's what I pray for them. I pray that you will keep them from the evil one. And I pray that you will sanctify them. Make them holy. Sanctify them in your truth. Come. Your word, Father, is truth. So where are we sanctified? Are we sanctified by spending hundreds of hours in prayer? I I encourage spending hundreds of hours in prayer, but there's no sanctification in prayer if it's not bathed in the Word. Is sanctification accomplished? Does it come about? Are you made holy by, by having perfect attendance in Sunday school and worship for 25 years? I hope it has some impact on you, but Jesus didn't say, Father, sanctify them by perfect attendance in the gathering of the saints, although I encourage the gathering of the saints. I encourage perfect attendance with the saints. But he didn't say that would sanctify you. He said, sanctification, presenting your members as slaves to righteousness that leads to sanctification. In verse 22, when he says, now you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the fruit you get from that leads to sanctification and in its end, at its end, eternal life. Paul is just reiterating what Jesus said in John chapter 8 and John chapter 17. Reiterating what he said in in Galatians chapter 5. Reiterating what the psalmist said in Psalm 1 that we read responsibly this morning. There's two sides. There's the righteous and the unrighteous. The godly and the ungodly. And when one is walking with Christ in a godly manner. Walking with Christ be made godly by him. He said, listen, that person met, it delights in the law of the Lord and law there just, we, we, we immediately think of Ten Commandments or literally think of other laws and commands. All, all the psalm is talking about there is delighting in the word of God, in the truth of God. He said, this one's light who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, who doesn't stand in the way of sinners who doesn't sit with scoffers his delight is in the word of the lord and on his word he meditates day and night what's he going to be like well he's going to be like a tree a strong tree a mighty tree maybe a mighty oak that is Planted by streams of water. Doesn't depend on the rains, doesn't depend on the seasons, doesn't depend on the circumstances. He's planted by a stream of water and there's always, a, there's always the nourishment that it needs because the stream keeps it fed. He 
It's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. In other words, in all that he does, there is sanctification, there is growth, there is maturity, there is holiness taking place. The wicked aren't so. Those outside of Christ aren't so. So, so Paul is saying here, understand, when he talks about you need to reckon these things as being true, it doesn't mean you make them true. It means you know that they're true and you live in accordance with that. You know that they're true. And you seek him above everything else. You know that they're true not because you feel like they're true. Because there are times you won't feel that way. But you know they're true because God says they're true. Would you pray with me? So, Holy Father, you have shown us that it all comes down to this. It really does. It all comes down to knowing and living in accordance with what you have done. By your grace, by your power in our lives. Father, help us know that we can't live holy in and of ourselves. Sanctification can't be found by activity. It's found only when we know what you have done. And we know that you've done what you say you've done in our lives. And we walk in that. We live in that. We believe that. Lord, show it to us over and over in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of commitment.